Hello, our users, shiny enthusiasts around the world. Thank you so much for joining us for our, our last installment of the 2019 Shiny Developer Series. Um, we've had a lot of great insights, great deep dives into a lot of the awesome community efforts, and today will certainly be no different. Um, I always want to extend my thanks to uh, Curtis Kephart uh, from our studio for being generous to host us for these great webinars. And I'm very excited to talk about the Yonder package with our, our featured guest for today, Nathan Teeter. Um, so Nathan, thank you again so much for being part of our, our webinar today. And if you don't mind, if you wanna share with us a little bit about your background, how you got started using R and also how you got started with Shiny. Absolutely, uh, thank you for having me and thank you to all of you for tuning in either live or for catching the uh, recording. Uh, <clears throat> my name is Nathan Teeter. I'm a software engineer at Zevros Spatial Analysis. Uh, I've been using R for six years now, and my background is in uh, computer science. Previously, I've worked in the financial sector and also at the Harvard School of Public Health. I'm the author of the Zealot package, which provides a uh, multiple and destructuring assignment operator for R users. I presented that package at the 2018 RStudio conference. And I'm also the author of the Yonder package, which we're going to hear more about over the next uh, 40 to 50 minutes. Absolutely. And um, yeah, let's, let's not waste much time. Let's get into it. And I'll mention that, yeah, when I first got familiar with, with you and your work, it was from that same uh, presentation about the Zealot package. Really well done. And I highly recommend um, those interested to check out the recording from that presentation. But yes, it was uh, shortly thereafter that I saw Yonder come through um, on GitHub. Mm -hmm. And admittedly, when I first saw it, I was um, kind of blown away at what looks like a very ambitious undertaking and would love to hear um, you walk us through kind of your motivations to take, again, what seems like a very uh, intense or un massive undertaking to, gen to generate this. And what are some of the problems or motivation for what Yonder is trying to solve? Sure. Um, so I was fortunate enough to start using R shortly, shortly after Shiny was first released. And uh, was immediately struck by how easy it was to get a useful web tool up and running with Shiny. And uh, Shiny, if, if you think about Shiny as a vehicle, it really was the first of its type on the lot. And so it, it opened up it, it opened up new ways uh, for for our users to um, develop. I mean, well, not new ways. It it revolutionized how our users could build web applications, and so our users now were 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 driving distances they previously hadn't been able to to go. And over the years, uh, I think many people agree with my sentiment about how useful or how uh, sort of nice it is to build applications with Shiny, because we saw people we saw the the R uh, development community really build out Shiny. Uh, adding options and features, and where we could drive our shiny vehicle, uh, you know, that we pushed that further and further and further. And as I came to use shiny more and more, I began to wonder 
if could we think of shiny not only as a vehicle but also as an engine and could we develop another vehicle to run on that shiny engine and that other vehicle is yonder so when i talk about a yonder application uh, i'm actually I'm, I'm misspeaking because yonder builds shiny applications we are going the the same places you go with shiny uh, the difference is we're, we're getting there we're going about it a little differently the same way that if you're in your ford pickup and you're driving somewhere you can probably get to all the same places as your ford mustang but the the experience is a little different <clears throat> and i also want to highlight just before i permanently park this metaphor i, I want to to highlight that the same way getting out of your ford pickup and into your ford mustang uh, you're gonna you're gonna sit in the Mustang and you're gonna you'll probably be able to turn on the car, start driving, start you know, start taking yourself places. But you might not be immediately familiar with the dashboard with all the features. And in that same way, I would expect uh, Shiny users. It's unfortunately not a one-to-one -one Shiny to Yonder. But when you pick up Yonder, you're gonna see a lot of familiarities. You're gonna and you're gonna see a lot of over time a lot of new features to help you build. Uh, I think more expressive uh, shiny applications. So my hope today is to convince you that the learning curve for picking up Yonder is well worth it. And um, I, I hope you'll give Yonder a shot. Well, I'm, I'm very glad to hear this because I, I, in fact, when I first came across Yonder, I'll be fully transparent, it did almost seem like a re-engineering. And that's, again, like you pointed out so clearly, that's not the case here. You are building on top of the core engine of shiny and like you said, we're just taking a slightly different route to get to some of the places that you might get to otherwise. And yeah, we're going to get real geeky here and get into some of the nuts and bolts of Yonder. And I want to emphasize mm -hmm. to those listeners that if you have questions during the webinar, feel free to send those in the chat panel and the question panel. And we'll be glad to answer them as we go along. Um, so, so yeah, Nathan, let's uh, dive into some of what Yonder is about. And I know you've been gearing up for a new release um, that's happening. Um, so I'd be very interested to get a walk through some of your favorite features and, and kind of the typical workflow of, of making a Yonder app. Sure, and I, I think um, you brought up something that's, that's important to note. Uh, so you, the Shiny has an ecosystem now. And uh, because Yonder builds Shiny applications, it's meant to interface with that same ecosystem. So the the, the one caveat is uh, Yonder, a, a sort of a uh, motivation and a feature for building Yonder was using uh, a later or the latest version of the the Bootstrap uh, library, and that that is the the CSS and the JavaScript um, behind Shiny, um, and so if if a if a, a a package a shiny package requires bootstrap 3 that is where you as a user may run into some issues with yonder because uh you it's it's a bad idea to load both bootstrap 3 and bootstrap 4. so that that's something to be aware of but otherwise if you find one of your one of the packages you know and love that interfaces with shiny and it doesn't interface with yonder uh that's on me so don't feel so. You know, by all means, um, you know, come right over here and and click click on that issues button and let me know that 
that it's some sort of expectation is not being met because as I said, we're still building shiny applications. Uh, and so uh, with that, I'll, I'll jump into a first sort of highlight a, a, a feature um, and that is a yonder comes with a lot of new in, uh, reactive inputs and a motivation or something something that I wanted to do when building yonder was learn as much as I could from feature requests from uh, under the shiny repository the shiny uh, github repository because many people have offered up great ideas for where shiny could go and only some of those have been uh, really brought to life and it, it, it that was pivotal in development of yonder because uh, all of a sudden I could see what people wanted to get out of a shiny application that they couldn't necessarily get already and a, a problem that I see I, I see a surprising amount of people asking on Stack Overflow uh, on our studio, uh, the community site, uh, that's a question of during the lifetime of my application, I need to generate a dynamic set of buttons. Um, perhaps the user is uploading a data set and based on some attributes of that data set, I need to create um, you know, maybe two to, two to six buttons. Mm -hmm. So how can I go about doing that? How can I set up uh, you know, observers. Do I do you use a for loop for observers? Do I need an L apply? Uh, it's an L apply, and, and we won't get into that uh, more. Uh, but uh, a, a new input from Yonder actually helps sort of resolve this problem entirely, and that is the button group input. And you can see it right here. It's this this bar, and each of these is a button. And for example, in in, in this example. We're using some fixed data sets. As I mentioned, uh, it's probably more likely that we're working with uploaded data or perhaps data pulled from a uh, system. So we don't necessarily know exactly what's going to be in that data set. But because this button group input is a single reactive input, we know during the lifetime of our application where those values are going to be because there is a single reactive ID. We no longer have to worry about storing variable or sorry, storing reactive IDs in variables. We no longer have to worry about dynamically generating observers during the runtime of our application. And it's also going to be much easier for a collaborator to come on later and look at the code and say and, and just understand what's going on. Because even if you can get around to understanding a loop or, or an, an apply function, it's not as intuitive as having all the observers written out ahead of time which we can do because we know the ID from the get-go. So, so what's happening here is we're, we're picking a data set and then the, val the choices and values are based on the column names of this data set. And, each, and so a button group input operates or the value changes when the user clicks on one of the buttons in the button group. So, uh, Again, this I, I, mm. yonder was not meant to. Uh, boy, 
I feel like I'm going to throw myself under the bus with this one, revolutionized Shiny applications. It was meant to make life a little bit more, a little bit easier, streamline applications so that we can focus on, say, the design of an application, making sure that an application is, uh, the users can understand what's going on in an application, make sure that if you need, for example, to make, uh, make sure that your web applications are uh, accessible to screen readers and other accessibility technologies, we don't have to, to worry so much about the ins and outs of the uh, the server logic of, uh, you know, how do I go about changing, you know, how do I go about making this blue, for example? Well, with Yonder, it's one function call. You say, okay, take my button group, change the background to, in this case, the primary theme, which is a, mm -hmm. which is a value from Bootstrap. So we're trying to just sort of cut corners where we can in order to get to the actual meat or the problems of our application. Because, um, Shiny developers have um, have an extra layer of complexity in that the R code they're writing is is not just you're putting it out there in the wild, and so you're really exposing yourself to a lot of new potential problems. And I, I mean, my hope for Yonder is to uh, you know save you as much trouble as possible when developing those applications. So there's there's definitely a theme there I want to hit on too that I think was very well said and and first of all definitely don't sell yourself short I think having <laughs> these convenient inputs that give me more more uh, mental energy to concentrate on some of the harder design problems and not have to worry about oh no I mismatched that ID or I forgot that ID or I oh no I have all these ten observers and I have to link them all together. Now, of course, I'm a bit biased here. I've been doing this for a while, so I kind of know my way around it. But let's be honest, for somebody that's kind of already done Shiny a little bit and now they're starting to get into situations where they have to design something a little more complex, having tools like the frameworks that Yonder has, I think could be very valuable to make sure they can attack the real design problems at hand and making sure that their app mm -hmm. is doing what it is intended to do and freeing their mental energy to concentrate on those. So yeah, I don't, I know from my standpoint, there are a lot of packages I do consider revolutionary and then yet the package authors say, no, I just added this to make a little life easier for me and hopefully other people like it. I mean, they're all, they're all important here. So I could definitely see a lot of value in having this kind of dynamic interface where again, there's one source of truth almost and where I have to modify yeah, things. Yes instead of maybe if you have a data set of like 200 variables who, who's going to want to do that so yeah this would be very very helpful a uh, great utility here and i guess we can jump into a second feature then and this is a another it touches on another reactive input and this is a link input and a link input functions very similarly to uh, a button input and a button input functions exactly like a action button in uh, in Shiny. Um, I, I have, as sort of in the development of, of Yonder, I, I tried to smooth out some um, naming consistencies, some argument consistencies. So across the board, all reactive inputs have a, a core set of arguments, which is ID, the, the reactive ID of the input, uh, choices, values, and selected. Um, and this actually, this really helps me in prototyping because if I choose 
one reactive input, say a select input, and then I decide, hmm, you know what, let's try a button group. Uh, I can, for the most part, just take drop select input and put in button group input, and I don't need to worry. Oh, did I, you know, do I need to change argument names? It, it, it just it just runs. Um, but the the link input here has a has an interesting feature, and that is. It, you can stretch a link input, and uh, that is not a. There's, there's nothing physical about that. It's still the same link input, but what does happen is that clicking on the parent element causes a click on the link itself. So you notice that here I'm hovering over this card, and it's as though I'm hovering over the link. You see, you you'll see the underline appear, <clears throat> and I use this feature a lot, it, and this is a very simplified example of this, but when building an application that is, say, a data explorer, often you want to create a landing page that sort of highlights, okay, here, here are the possible data sets, and here are some descriptions for those data sets, and then right there with the description is a way for the user to proceed through the application to the actual uh, data exploration page. And with these stretched link inputs, we can set up kind of this, uh, this landing page with, with these three highlights. So for example, if we wanted to go to data set two, click on that page, or <clears throat> excuse me, click on that card, and we're, we're off to, to page two. We can go back to the home, we could try, so in this case, we can click on three, and that'll take us to three, or we could go to one, and we can go to one. And this is, um, so this is both set up in the UI, the, the link input and the stretching, that's a, that's a reactive input. So you're gonna set that up in your UI. And the rest of this is set up in the observer, or sorry, in the server. And I also wanted to, to highlight a, a component here that's um, it's sort of working behind the scenes. You can't, you can't quite see it, except that you'll notice this transition it doesn't feature any sort of tab or or nav pane, and that is uh, in yonder. I made a conscious decision to separate the tabs or the nav, the navigation input from the actual panes of content themselves, and um, that's panes as in a window, not as in ow ow ow. Moving from <laughs> shiny to yonder causes me a lot of pain. Um, <laughs> So yeah, we don't want to hurt people it, with this migration, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's a, it's a painless process. It's it's, it's all it requires is a little installation from uh, Cran or or GitHub. Yep. And so so these panes of content can be you can switch between them with any reactive input or any reactive for that matter. What's happening on the server side is that the reactive value changes, and an observer says, "Oh, okay." Switch to the switch to the 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 pane of content you want to see. So in this case, I'm saying here I'm saying all right, link input one is clicked, and then show the first pane of content. Similarly, this home button, that's that's what we're looking at here. This is one of our nav panes, and I, I made this sort of decoupling of the, the the content itself from the the input that's toggling it, so that there's a lot more flexibility when building. A shiny application um, for anyone. I, I think most shiny users are, are are pretty aware. A or shiny developers, sorry, uh, are are pretty aware 
that a Shiny application lives in a single web page. So we kind of need to get a little creative about how we piece together a complex or detailed application and how we allow the user to navigate through our applications. Yeah, this is interesting. And it's something that I've been trying to get my head around is the fact that I'll have fairly complex app workflows in these apps where maybe it's kind of a linear structure and how they go from like upload to process to stat modeling to visualization. And there are other times you can kind of maybe go in different stages and you don't really necessarily have to start in one. But yeah, it's always had a bit of tension in how I walk a user through kind of the workflow of this. And it does seem like you could construct this in such a way where you could walk them through logically without them being overwhelmed with a bunch of navigation choices or something to that effect. It sounds like, yeah, you're given another avenue to kind of lead them through a logical construction of your app's workflow. Am I understanding mm -hmm. that correctly? Yeah. And, and you, it's, you're giving yourself room to think about how best to walk your user through the application because, um, tabs or pills, sort of the nav, the nav pills, nav tabs may work in 80% of cases, but maybe you, you have a, you want to, you want to walk a user through a multi-step form. And then it, it maybe what you're hoping for is that there's a next button in the bottom right corner of each form window. And so you could sort of incrementally step your user through uh, with these, these, with this nav content uh, component. And so it really, it's just Yonder wants to let you be as creative as you can be. Um, and, 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 uh, and I, and I would also love feedback on the ways you, you, the developer are being creative with Yonder. Um, I think when, when I talk about the, the challenges of developing Yonder, um, one of the biggest challenges was actually uh, sort of developing in a bit of an echo chamber. Um, I, I, I use Yonder in my work and over the, the last year have really pushed myself to use, to use Yonder in, in new and creative ways to see what I thought maybe two years ago, I thought was, oh, this is gonna, this is great. And then Lo and behold, it's like, well, that's actually not as, you know, we need to change it this way or change it this way, or that's a, that it's just hard to set up. So um, if you have any, if you, the listener, have any interest in Yonder, uh, please, uh, I would ask, upload, upload your example application to uh, GitHub, if you can, for example, or, or send me, you know, send me a link, uh, or, you know, or if for some reason, the application you're trying to develop with Yonder doesn't work, you know, you see a bug or something's not working as expected, uh, please reach out to me. I'd be happy to talk with you about what it is you're trying to do with Yonder and the ways in which Yonder isn't quite meeting uh, your, your expectations. Um, and this will, this will go a long way to developing Yonder because as I, as I said uh, previously, Yonder, I, I looked at a lot of, of GitHub issues and Stack Overflow comments, uh, our studio community site comments, just what were people asking for? Or what were people asking about when it came to Shiny applications? And 
So, I, and I have the benefit of starting, or we, we, I'll say we, have the benefit of starting from a clean slate. Yon, uh, Shiny has done a great job of preserving backwards compatibility. So, you know, you don't, you don't wake up one morning and say, oh no, my Shiny app's not working when I upgraded. Uh, but that is also kind of, you know, that you have to be very careful then. Yonder right now is young enough that we can make big changes. So if, if there are additions or, or ideas that you have for something like Yonder, please uh, let, let's talk and uh, see about maybe incorporating that idea into Yonder um, because I'm really very hopeful for where the hopeful uh, for where this package can go. Yeah, that's interesting thoughts. And it's not too dissimilar to the fact that, you know, with respect to base R itself, you know, obviously mm -hmm. there's, they have to maintain backward compatibility, like literally is one of the biggest priorities. So you might see, and I don't want to sound harsh here, some is more slower moving of radical new features. Whereas, like you said, with Yonder, you have been obviously the, the biggest user of it um, since you've been using this in your own daily work. But it'll be great to see what others in the community who may have only heard about it but haven't had a chance to put it through like an evaluation of how it can help them to see mm -hmm. what workflows that maybe you did not anticipate that they're trying to solve. And yeah, I think yes, exactly. the, the whole spirit of this community um, of this uh, Shiny Developer Series is to highlight what those in the Shiny community are doing. Maybe it starts as scratching their own niches, so to speak, but then we want to share this out there and give them as an alternative to look at for ways to streamline their workflows for however appropriate it, it happens to be for their projects. And even just this navigation feature, um, this is something that I'm going to seriously consider for some apps that I want to be more maybe opinionated or a little more um, friendly with the navigation of it, whereas I don't want to mm -hmm. overwhelm them with too many choices right off the bat. So I, this is something I'm going to explore for sure. And obviously this is only scratching the surface of what Yonder offers. So I'd be curious to hear your perspective on the sense that I've noticed that this feature and among others, there, you have a nice collection of these user interface enhancements and some nice tie-ins to the client server interactions. And I'm wondering what have been the features that have been most difficult to develop while you're maintaining this vision of Yonder that you've had since you started this? Well, unfortunately, many of those difficult features are now sort of put to rest. They're, they're in that, that great development farm up uh, in, in upstate New York. Um, and uh, they've kind of, um, they, they've been trimmed along the way. Uh, one of those, for example, was a table output. I actually developed a lightweight uh, JavaScript library called Chabudai. And it was supposed to sort of take the bootstrap table and create a plugin for it. And boy, let me tell you, <laughs> creating a creating a, a table library, there's a there's a reason why there's sort of a select three, four, five that people just consistently go back to and use because ooh, it's it's um let me let me just say developing Yonder, there were a lot of there were a lot of learning moments, a lot of it's like, hmm, maybe we won't do that. Uh, so it, 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 you know, this is, I, I guess, I, I, I mean, I often see people sort of, I don't know, saying, is package development for me? It's like, 
yes, <laughs> absolutely. Like this, like, I think this is, this is some of the most, some of the most challenging parts of Yonder were the most fun because when you are sitting down to, to, to grow a package, you, 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 you get to explore, you get to, you get to try out and, and make mistakes and, um, and hopefully learn from them. Um, so let's see. So, okay. So we got table output. That was, that was difficult. Um, outputs in general are, are tricky. Um, at one point there was a streaming output in Yonder, which was sort of a, a queue of alerts that would be sent from the server, uh, to, to the, to the browser. And that, uh, that came with a number of challenges. So, so that, that has been put to rest too. It's been sent to, <laughs> sent to the nice farm. Um, Oh, is that farm and, getting bigger? Or? <laughs> no, it's it's it it's a very it's very nice, and uh, we 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 treat it with a lot of respect um, because because those you know those those features that haven't that aren't here fully developed have definitely influenced other aspects of Yonder um, because you know, even if if that is not the way we can get to destination X then we need to figure out a new way to get to destination X. Um, accessibility, that's another, accessibility was actually a big motivation for Yonder in the beginning. Mm. And fortunately the Bootstrap team has uh, really taken on the, the web accessibility initiative. And um, so Bootstrap 4 is, does a good job of making sure your web applications are again, accessible to uh, technologies like screen readers. And um, I I'll be the first to admit Yonder probably, they're probably shortcoming someone who really put a Yonder app through um, through some sort of accessibility uh, testing device. I'm sure you would come up with you know, ways that it doesn't, um, you know, ways that it needs to be modified a little bit, um, but uh, at my when I was working at the the Harvard School of Public Health, we there was a big emphasis on uh, developing applications that met these accessibility standards, and um, it made me want it made me want a tool set that would allow for some some deep flexibility, uh, so that the uh, applications we're building are accessible. I'm glad you're mentioning this because I'll be honest, I don't think this gets enough attention in. Well, I'm going to speak from the shining community standpoint. Um, we should not lose sight of the fact that, yeah, these apps that we make may look extremely, you know, polished, but if it's not accessible, you know, then it may not help our intended use case. So I'd, um, I don't follow as much about kind of the bootstrap, you know, developments as I probably should, but it's encouraging to see that now you've, because of what Yonder is being based on bootstrap for that able to take some of those benefits and bring them to your shiny apps because of that so that's that's really exciting to hear about um we're getting some great questions online we're going to get to them in a little bit i wanted to make sure nathan you had a chance to tell us um maybe some of your plans for future development of beyonder in terms of like some bigger ideas that you're thinking about uh for the future sure uh let me let me quickly highlight one last feature because i think it it touches on uh, a utility many shiny users 
I think I think there's a there's a, a use case for this feature, but because it's so absolute, many shiny developers don't quite use it. And and that is the submit button. Um, and if you're newish to to shiny, you may actually never have have heard of this feature because it it does feel a little counterintuitive to the shiny reactive paradigm. And that is, if you build a shiny application and you include a submit button values are not automatically sent from the client back to the server. So your reactives don't update automatically until the submit button on your application page is clicked. And uh, I saw a request, someone saying, well, could we have a scoped version of this submit button? That is, for example, when I change one selector somewhere on the page, the value, that value is updated, but then if I'm working within this sort of frozen frozen set of inputs, those inputs wouldn't be updated until the submit button is clicked. Oh, this and, is really interesting. You got my attention right here for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so so this is a th this is actually a a, a another uh, reactive input. It, it's it's a it's not a very traditional one, but but this here is a form input and what it does is it freezes the it freezes the inputs within it, and it will only pass on those values to the server when the submit button is clicked. So, for example, you can see the you can see I'll select those four, and nothing changed. Now this value is outside of the form input, so it's it's not frozen. So there we see that the value is updated. We could change it back to to Nate, um, but then if we hit submit, now we see those values are available on the server. And uh, this, this can be very useful. Um, oh, sorry. Uh, so right now, uh, we see there's one submit button. And when this when this submit button is clicked, the form input actually does have a value. It is the value associated with the clicked submit button. Oh, so okay. we could have one, two, three, four, five, we maybe maybe keep the max at five. Uh, we could have any number of submit buttons associated with our form. So depending on which submit button is clicked, we can take a different action. So maybe we could uh, generate a model versus test a model versus maybe just sort of uh, you know send the values for validation to the server first. Like, uh, so again, this I when I first saw submit buttons. And shiny, I, I thought, okay, that maybe I'll use that one day. But then I came across someone asking for this scoped version, and thought, okay, this this sounds like an exciting. You know, let's see if we can do this. And now that I have this scoped version, it's actually much more appealing to to my development because I don't, you know, I I it's not just an absolute oh all the inputs on the page are frozen. Well, I'm really glad you walked through this because a lot of my apps are gonna have these kind of, you know, logical sections of either textual inputs or whatever have you, but it'd be great to be able to do some customized processing on certain operations of taking that information and maybe doing one action versus another action, I can even see this being helpful 
with like data entry or data manipulation mm -hmm. behind the scenes of like a, mm -hmm. a database hosted on AWS or whatever have you. Now, I could see lots of utility and and taking advantage of this logical, like you said, this logical form control and being able to customize certain pieces to be more reactive than others. That's really interesting. So uh, I gave, okay, so now back to, sorry, I skipped the, I, I sort of derailed this a little bit, but uh, when it comes to uh, new features uh, upcoming for Yonder, um, there is a big JavaScript overhaul on the horizon uh, that will come with uh, uh, version uh, 1.0.0. Right now, I'm I'm still sort of in a beta uh, version zero, shall we say? And uh, version one, I'm I'm very excited about this version because um, another motivation for Yonder was avoiding ha avoiding writing JavaScript, especially putting JavaScript in strings for your shiny application uh, it's not it's not something that you a shiny developer may run into all the time but there are instances where you do need to write some javascript and ugh, I, if, if javascript is is already you know sort of a uh, maybe a little tedious at times putting it into a string and then having to write it that way gets gets even more tedious and so this new upcoming feature is is going to provide what I'm calling uh, actions, actions that inputs that you will write, you will write R code to tell an input what actions to take when certain values are clicked. And that could be uh, when this value is clicked, show this nav pane. When this value is clicked, go update this other input without actually having to talk to the server. Now, in some cases, you definitely want that value to still get back to the the server but maybe in some cases you say okay just forward this value onto this other input so that we don't have to make the round trip back to the server mm. uh so that is that that is still being that's still in development i, I um and that we can we'll, but that will come out in 2020. um another feature um that i th there are some exciting shiny packages uh, on the horizon, um, I I don't I don't really want to say more um, because I don't want to get myself in trouble. <laughs> but there, I made sort of an effort to um, kind of rein in some of the uh, experimental styles that are included with Yonder, and so there's a there's a big um, sort of CSS refresh on the horizon, um, and. Uh, that is that will come with sort of the final version zero uh, of yonder oh very interesting um I'll, I'll tell you i was actually dealing with uh you know what looked like a very ugly javascript snippet i had to put in an app i'm making for a new effort i'm going to launch hopefully early next year and as a javascript novice um it was very difficult to get that to execute correctly so anything you can do to make that friction less painful i'm, I'm certainly appreciative of that uh, for sure um yeah it sounds like a lot of great ideas on the horizon i want to get to one of our questions because i think it's something i wanted to talk about too is the fact that um you know a lot of us came to yonder looking at say the github repo looking at some example um, you know 
small examples in the in the package documentation one of our mm -hmm. listeners is asking having an, an an example shiny app that showcases its capabilities would be helpful because it's very hard to see from the website of the package why would someone want to be interested in using yonder from that standpoint so maybe you could give a comment about that Yes, I I will be one of the first, if not the first, to say the the website and documentation for Yonder um, could do a better job selling the package, and um, that is I, I have sort of have some fingers crossed for the the package down uh, uh, package because it looks like there's some um, upcoming features will which will help uh, sort of post-process or, or, or uh, post-process examples so that if you have examples that produce HTML, they will render the HTML instead of, like, for example, if you go to the, <laughs> if you go to the Yonder documentation right now, you'll see the, the actual markup, the, the literal HTML tags that make up, say, a, a, a reactive input when it would be much nicer to see the, the actual, uh, the, the, you know, the generated input. Um, I have, there is a Yonder examples repo um, that is loosely based on uh, the shiny examples uh, repo. And I'm in the process of overhauling that repository because it's not, again, it's not quite a one for one uh, take a shiny example. It does this, does this properly showcase uh, Yonder. Um, so I guess I don't have, I'm sorry, to, to whoever asked that question, I'm sorry, I don't have a, a, a I cannot point you in the direction of a, 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 a great uh, example right now. Um, but I will say some of my work, some of my professional work uh, on the horizon may be made public. And uh, that w when that is made public, I will absolutely, um, shall we say tweet tweet out like hey here is this application was built with yonder um and so uh there there are there are examples on the horizon we'll make that we'll make that a 2020 goal as well better examples well and i also um hopefully this this will help too i i again one of the reasons i want to have this webinar with you is uh, it's kind of a call to action a little bit um in that I would, I would certainly hope, and I'm sure there are lots of shiny developers out there that may have used Yonder once or twice or however many times. If you have feedback, please um, share that with, with all of us. And we would be able to, you know, Nathan in particular, you will greatly benefit from seeing whatever's in, oh, yes. in the shiny community are doing with it. Um, it's kind of like a, you, 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 you sure, you're pretty sure there's, there's traction out there. Um, but what is it being used for? It sometimes it can be a black box, and this is not a not an issue that's selective just the yonder. There can be lots of parts of Shiny itself, whether it's Shiny or just the extensions out there that are becoming quite popular. Sometimes we don't know how they're being used in the real world. We see like galleries, we see little things like that. But what mm -hmm. are the problems it's trying to solve? And so this is where I hope that we'll get some examples. Obviously. Of course, we'd love to have your examples, but other others in the community as well to share that. That would be really interesting to see that. Um, so I'm going to hit on another question that we got online. Um, going back to that navigation example that we were talking about earlier, 
Um, our sure. listener asks if it was possible to hide that the the links where it says go to set one or go to set two and let the boxes kind of be reactive by themselves. That um, I would say is not best practice. Okay, please because, elaborate on that. Because for a first time user, even though the cursor is changing here when we when we mouse over this card, I would bet 90% of first time users are gonna look for an actual link to click on. Now, they may not realize that this stretched feature is helping them out. For example, if I come over here and I think my cursor is close enough and I click, well, maybe it was with the stretched link feature, it actually doesn't matter if I'm pixel perfect or not. Mm -hmm. So you're saving the user some headache they don't even realize they could have had. Now, an experienced user, if they're using your application again and again and again, I guarantee they are gonna, their muscle memory is gonna find every shortcut out there. And they will then realize, oh, I can put my cursor right, right inside this card, click, boom, go, like, just step through the application. So again, you have to, this is just another challenge for, uh, for shiny developers is you have to cater to a wide variety of users. So in this case, I would say leave the links there for, for users who need that visual cue. Um, and then experienced users, it may not even register anymore that that link is down there. Uh, I will also say you could put the link elsewhere. You know, maybe you can add some styling to maybe make this footer a little smaller, uh, maybe make this text a little smaller. So there are ways to, to make this maybe less um, sort of impressive. But, but I, I would definitely say you want, you want it there and then um, let people find the shortcuts. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. And also the fact that, you know, like a lot of things in Shiny, if you have the technical knowledge, you can, you know, make things look different however you see fit with, of course, the powers of CSS and all that UI magic that you can implement too. So the, the, the possibilities are almost endless, but... I, I, I share your point. I think, yeah, that, that, that having that there is what most of the app users that I target would be expecting as well. Um, so my, another question from the listeners and I'll, I'll kind of add my own spin on it too. Um, they asked if it's possible to, um, use Yonder with something like R Markdown or any gotchas to have say mm -hmm. Yonder be a front end to making an R Markdown report or incorporating Markdown into it. What are your thoughts on that? That is a good question. I'm afraid I do not do enough R Markdown to definitively say Yonder can be used in uh, X capacity. Uh, I be, again, because Yonder is building uh, a shiny app, you use Yonder to build a shiny application. Uh, my gut reaction is, well, if, if, if it's appropriate for a shiny application to work in that R Markdown document, and uh, for some reason the, the shiny application that Yonder produced doesn't work, that's a bug. That's on me. So, so yes, it should work in R Markdown, um, but should is a dangerous word. So <laughs> if you happen to test that, again, please, uh, if you happen to test out that, that feature, 
or you happen to use Yonder in R Markdown, it doesn't work. Browse on, browse on over. Send me a, send me a, hey, what's going on? And, I'll, and I'll be happy to, uh, to, to strike up a conversation with you. Yeah, that, this is uh, exactly one of the themes I wanted to highlight too. And, and my, my take on this kind of question is the fact that we've, we talked about it early on in, in our conversation, but Yonder, you're not expected to only use Yonder when you, when you build a, an app with Yonder. You, mm -hmm. There should be capacity to bring other widgets that maybe are some of your favorites yep. from user interface enhancements or what have you. And as you mentioned, if those are not working for every reason, this is the place you want people to go to to let you know, and you'd be glad to look at that, it sounds like. Yes, absolutely. Very cool, very cool. Um, so yeah, I, I think um, uh, we'll, we're gonna have to wrap up in a little bit here, but I'll let you um, speak about, do you have any others kind of calls to action for, the, for our shiny audience here in terms of what you hope they can get out of Yonder and what you hope to hear about Yonder usage that we haven't touched on already. No, I think I think I'm a broken record at this point. It's mostly if you if you have built an application with Yonder, you know, please uh, uh, if if you can make it public, uh, please do so. Um, and if you haven't tried out Yonder, uh, give it a whirl. Um, you know, I I try and I try and regularly check the community sites um, as well as Stack Overflow uh, for potential um, you know questions about Yonder or or even I'm still looking for uh, issues that that are related to Shiny that Yonder could tackle um, and the the I, I will say for for the sake of um, the demos today, I'm working on the, I'm working in a different branch. So the master branch here is stable and this is what you'll, this is what you'll find on CRAN. Um, so if you were hoping to replicate exactly um, some of sort of the appearance of this or, or this appearance or, or maybe have this, this appearance um, and you don't see it on the CRAN version, you can try out the, uh, the, the V0 development branch um, and otherwise, I just, you know, I, <laughs> a, a big motivation for Yonder, no surprise, it was you. It was the, how great the Shiny community is. Uh, I mean, the Shiny community is an extension of the already great R community. And it really is a pleasure to develop for people who are producing useful tools that are, that I think are making a difference around the world. And I'm hoping to contribute to that community and uh, your feedback means that we can, we, we, I, I can't, this hopefully Yonder will actually uh, help that community out. Well said. I, I, as a consumer of many awesome utilities and packages that we've seen throughout this year, um, this is again, no different in the sense that this is going to help my workflow. I can already see at least a couple of use cases that this is going to be really helpful. And, and obviously I hope others in the community feel the same because we all benefit when we start integrating these great pieces together. Um, so Nathan, if, if anyone, if any of our listeners want to get in contact with you, 
whether it's about Yon or other things, where should they where should they head to? You can, I believe, I believe I've got all the I've got direct messages open on Twitter, and that is at n uh, tweeter. So um, I, guess I, can, I guess I can spell that out here. So that's n t w e e t o r at n tweeter. Uh, feel free to send me an email at nathan teeter at gmail.com. That's uh, t e e t o r. And uh, if you have sort of a, a package specific question, feel free to open an issue, open a pull request. Um, and uh, also, if you happen to be at our studio conference in, what is this, a month? Not that, if, if you're, if you're going to be at the next our studio, studio conference, uh, 2020, I'll be there too. And uh, hopefully, um, they'll be, we'll be uh, putting together some shiny related uh, so uh, items, there's some meetups, and um, we can we can start a discussion there. Well, you read my mind where I wanted to go with our last part of the conversation. Is, <laughs> yes, um, this is I'm going to be there too, and I I would love to get in touch with. Well, first I want to have a little bit of reflection here. This has been an absolute thrill to be conducting this entire webinar series. Um, hopefully those that have been listening from the beginning or if you just listened to this episode can tell that I am very enthusiastic, very excited whenever I get to talk about Shiny and the great community that's involved with it. And Nathan, you're a perfect example of that. And yes, I will be at our studio conference. In fact, I've been fortunate enough to have a poster session there and I'm going to be highlighting a lot of the learnings that we've had from the Shiny Developer Series. And also, awesome. um, for those that are attending, please keep an eye out. Um, I hear word that there are going to be birds of a feather sessions once again. And who knows, we might be able to do something with Shiny out there if we, we get together on that. So please stay Fingers tuned crossed. to the RStudio community portal. Um, I'll definitely send tweet outs when I get more information. But I would love to interact with the audience on your usage of Shiny and what benefits that you have seen from the great, the great packages, the great insights that we've had throughout the webinar series and beyond. Um, so yeah, Nathan, I'll very much look forward to seeing you there uh, in, in about a month or so. And um, for everyone listening online, we thank you again so much, especially for those that have been around from the beginning of this series. Um, Curtis and I have been already starting our brainstorming on how we wanna do this again next year and feedback is more than welcome head to shinydevseries.com. You'll find a link to our contact page if you'd like to get in touch. And also we will have a recording of this posted probably very quickly actually, because um, I will be off the grid after a couple of days. So we'll make sure we get this recording out there and keep an eye out on the RCU community portal. We'll have all the links that have been discussed during our, our talk with Nathan here. And also have the recording posted on shinydevseries.com. So yes, we are right around our, our time our time allotted here. But again, my sincere thanks to everyone for joining us. Thank you, Nathan, for giving us this awesome overview of Yonder. I've already learned a lot of things that were kind of these aha moments that I love to have, and you already given me at least a few of those. So thank you for taking the time to come up with these great examples. And, and for those online, I hope you have a wonderful rest of the year. 
And for those that are attending our studio conference, I hope to be able to see you there and talk about all things are and shiny and beyond. So until next year, 2020, this will wrap up uh, the Shiny Developer Series for 2019. And we hope to see you next time. Thanks a lot for joining, everybody.